Having the keg daily is live for August 24th. It is Thursday. We're going to talk about the Pete Alonso to the Brewers rumors and the case for the crew to go all in in 2024. We'll give some Brewers twins thoughts before we move on to Rashawn Gary and the Green Bay Packers and what his impact means for this defense in week one, week two, Bears-Falcons, and then also the 53-man roster. And we'll ride out of here. As you can tell, I'm not with my compadre, Mitch Ross. Uh, he's taking the week off. He did do a podcast with his band Garden Home, which you guys could check out. I believe Garden Home posted it uh, somewhere. So go, go check that out. Mitch is only uh, – it's only his contract. He does one podcast a week. Uh, so, yeah, we couldn't book him. No. Uh, in all honesty, we just – it was a breather before football. Uh, we're going to be balls to the walls now uh, from football and basketball starts up sooner rather than later. And it's all systems go really until February. And then at some point we'll slow down, but we're not going to slow down for a while. And that's just not what we do. Uh, before we get going, just a reminder, social media, uh, I always remind you. But tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg sports on Instagram, TikTok, as well as Facebook. Uh Make sure you're subscribed to the pod. Uh, if you already are on Apple, on Spotify, Overcast, Google, the whole thing, you can drop this in the group chat. You can leave a rating. You can leave a review. We'd really appreciate that. I should probably do something to get up my ratings and reviews. Um, I've talked about this in the past. I, I can't remember if I've mentioned this on a pod or I've thought about it. Uh, I have a ton of memorabilia, like a shit ton of memorabilia. Uh, my mother, uh, bless her heart, has gave. And when I, I say that, I do not mean like the southern, like kind of condescending way. It's, it's seriously like bless her. She's kept everything, and I have probably too much memorabilia. Uh, I honestly do. Uh, I I have a emerging man cave, uh, shall we say? Uh, but I have to paint, and so because we have to paint, my wife and I, I don't know how much is too much, right? I know that I have a little bit more than I probably should. But I don't know, like, what's the limit here? So I, I do want to do, like, giveaways and, like, hey, follow for a chance to win this bobblehead or, like, the Aaron Rodgers. I have, like, the Journal Sentinel uh, when the Packers won the Super Bowl. I have a few copies of that, uh, which would look gr great in a house if you don't already have that available or if you're a younger person who you know maybe you don't you've never seen that before or that you, that's new to you uh it's, it's a cool little collectible so yeah i have a bunch of shit like that i just it's a question of a what do i want to give away and b would my mom be upset that i give it away and c uh you know what is too much and was too little because uh, i also don't want it to be like a mausoleum and I, not a mausoleum that's where i wear a museum uh, mausoleum i think that was a mausoleum i think that's a like a casket or a cave or something like that. Uh, I, but I basically, like, I, I don't, we, this doesn't need to be a ha the Hall of Fame. Uh, and I, my wife has also kind of got ahead of it and said, like, hey, we're not, we're not doing that. A mausoleum is a external freestanding building constructed in a monument in a burial chamber of a deceased or dead person. So, yeah, my bad. Mausoleum uh, is not. It's not what we're looking for. Uh, or no one's dead down here except the mice that we found when we were putting on the sand tiles. So that's another story for another time. All right. In classic having the keg form, uh, I rambled early on before getting to our first pocket, first podcast topic, which I, I'm just doing us a Thursday solid. You guys are familiar with this on any Thursday pod that you listen to. So why is today any different? Let's get into that Pete Alonzo remote. Let's talk about why I do think there's a case for the Brewers to go all in next year in 2024. Ken Rosenthal dropped a bomb on Tuesday night uh, that the Brewers were potentially at 
field goal range in terms of getting Pete Alonso. Now, Mets officials denied that Pete Alonso, it was that close with the Milwaukee Brewers, that they had some discussions, that the Brewers called, but it never got that far. I had heard uh, on the day of the deadline that Pete Alonso could be available. Uh, and it was from a, a decent source and told me, you know, that Pete Alonso is there and a guy that it's plugged in a little bit in the New York area. So hearing that, plus now Ken Rosenthal's report, plus the fact that Mike Francesa on Barstool Radio, Mike Francesa, for those who are unfamiliar, you know, the godfather, the Pope, as they call him, of sports radio, the guy who invented sports radio, as plugged in as any New Yorker that's in that scene, said that basically Lindor, Francisco Lindor, that is, is the favorite child of ownership, and that Pete Alonso and ownership do not have that same relationship. And there is some friction developing, kind of like uh, Kevin Durant, James Harden sort of thing, or Westbrook, if you will, and that Pete Alonso might be on the move. So now we have this rumor from Rosenthal and a discussion about, you know, are the Brewers, A, looking at Alonso? Is this something they're going to revisit in the offseason? Or is this all smoke and mirrors? I want to get to both. I think both are important. I think both actually have purpose. I think the Brewers do have reason to potentially go all in in 2024 that I'll outline a little bit later on. But Alonzo would be a Zach Granke type deal for the Milwaukee Brewers. And that's a deal that we have not seen the Brewers make in a long time. You know, Mike Moustakis was a solid deal. Yasmani Grandal in free agency was taking advantage of the market. Uh, at the time when nobody was paying players. And we're like, we'll give Yasmani Grandal $19 million. Sure enough, he becomes an awesome player. Alonzo makes something pretty similar. It would be a year to, I believe, two-year rental. I think he might have an arbitration year in the following year they could potentially work with. But it's likely that you wouldn't bring Pete Alonzo back in terms of a long-term deal. That's just not happening. Alonzo right now makes four, uh, 14.5 they will likely make more. I think Rosenthal said 21. So it would be a one-year deal, really, for the Milwaukee Brewers. And again, an all-in move for one year, knowing that Pete Alonso would likely not be back with the Brewers. Pete Alonso is an interesting personality, right? He's a very gregarious player. He's a bit of a tryhard. He is a meathead. But I think meatheads play in Milwaukee. We see Joey Weimer, and everybody loves Joey Weimer. I think everybody would like Pete Alonso. He has sort of a a Midwest sort of dumbness to him. And I mean that in the nicest way possible because I have it too, okay? And so I, I think that there would be a fit there for Alonzo. I, I think that he wouldn't try to overtake the clubhouse. I think there is enough veterans there that Alonzo would mesh in. Um, he would not fit out um, and it would, he would not be a problem child, especially if you have Craig Council managing the team. But that's a big if, and there is also the David Stearns angle of this all. David Stearns is assumed to be taking the New York Mets job this offseason. We'll see what happens with the Chicago White Sox. If I were the White Sox, I would pitch David Stearns. I know they're talking that they're going to go internal, which makes no fucking sense at all. Uh, but the White Sox continue to be one of the biggest dumpster fires in all of sports, really, not just not just baseball. I, I think Stearns is going to get the Mets shot. I think that is one of the worst kept secrets in all of baseball. Now, the other rumor that has been out there is that Craig Council is going to come with him, and Stearns is going to try to convince Craig Council to bring the brain trust to New York City. 
Uh, I think people who know Craig Council and people who know what what he's about, he's not a New York City guy. I don't think the New York media will really vibe with how Council you know looks at games. You know, they give Aaron Boone a lot of shit, and I, I think Aaron Boone has you know kind of worn out his welcome. But Aaron Boone was a pretty good manager for the Yankees. He was a pretty solid, productive manager. And he's kind of got overrun now, and he's as good personal with the media as humanly possible. Council isn't really that. He messes with lineups. He puts guys in high leverage situations that don't always make sense. He is a he's a great he has a great feel for baseball, but the feel for baseball drives you nuts because Craig Council knows more than you do. And I think for a lot of fans, it drives them fucking crazy, especially early on in Council's tenure with the Brewers. And I think if you were to go to a place like New York, where everything is hyper-reactive, imagine Frank the Tank watching Craig Council manage every day. It would drive him fucking nuts. He would have harder, like he might have a heart attack watching Craig Council manage. But I, I don't think it's because of fans like Frank that Craig wouldn't go there. I think it's his family. And in fact, he has two, two sons in college that are playing baseball in the Midwest and that he has a daughter who's still at Whitefish Bay. It doesn't really make sense for Council to move out east. Would that really be something that Craig Council was looking to do uh, if he were to move on from the Milwaukee Brewers? And no one really knows exactly what's happening with Craig Council. And maybe the team knows. Maybe they don't. Uh, but, uh, we, we just, that's a complete black box right now on Craig Council. And I, I think with the Pete Alonzo rumor, part of that is the Brewers throwing some napalm at the New York Mets. The Brewers might have thrown over a Molotov cocktail, and this might not even be on the table, right? Because they, the Mets, they be the Mets, openly tampered with David Stearns. For the last year plus, the Mets were allowed to basically play footsie with David Stearns. Mark Ananasio knew it. David Stearns knew it. David Stearns had maybe a desire to go to the Mets. We don't know. And I think Stearns' checked out mentality is what led to the Josh Hader execution being such a goddamn clusterfuck inside that clubhouse. And the Brewers, it, it took a little bit for the Brewers to pick up those pieces. And so as a extra fuck you to the New York Mets, they leaked to Rosenthal, one of the most established reporters that's out there, that, hey, yeah, we were close on a Pete Alonso deal. It's very, it, the article reads like a Danny Ainge article. For, if you're unfamiliar with Danny Ainge, Danny Ainge will be in on everybody, uh, but somehow they don't get him. He's like, oh, well, we, we were in on that guy. I think he did that recently with, was it now with LeBron? Who's it, Jimmy Butler? Yeah, he said that in a podcast. Where he's like, oh, we were in on Jimmy Butler. It's like, yeah, dude, you've been in on every fucking good player in the NBA since the dawn of time, all right? But the, the idea here is to make it seem like the Mets, there's some friction there. So, hey, David Stearns, welcome to, welcome to the job. You have to now figure out this Pete Alonso situation. Good luck. That's that's order order of business number one is figure out what to do with a potentially disgruntled first baseman who all he does is hit bombs and is one of the best players in baseball, one of the bigger faces, honestly, in baseball. You have to now figure this out. And oh yeah, by the way, your former team wants him. And I, I do think for Stearns, there are gonna be guys that he likes, right? And guys that he might pine for, maybe a Garrett Mitchell, maybe a Tyler Black. And that maybe you can get, you know, some guys that you can you can hide some guys and you can trade for other guys and get P. Alonso with the Brewers. But it's more likely than not 
that this was a double Steve Austin bird to the Mets, and this is a stunner because they know what Stearns is. They know Stearns is coming, and they want him to walk into shit. That all being said, I do not think that the Brewers should rule out the fact of going all in and making an Alonzo-type deal for the 2024 season. That might give you some pause. If you are a Brewer fan, you might be like, Charlie, what are you talking about? The Brewers have all these contracts up, whether it's Brandon Woodruff, whether it's Corbin Burns, whether it's Willie Adamas. They got to start paying guys or they need to move them so they're not in a situation like they were with Josh Hader in 2022. I do understand that. I know that trading Corbin Burns in in this offseason is probably his premier value. You're not going to get better value than you will for Corbin Burns this coming offseason. That said, the Brewers have a rare, op, unique opportunity as a small market baseball team to go all in because they have an overwhelming amount of prospects and good prospects. You might have heard that they have the third best farm system in all of baseball right now. It is as good as it's ever been from that perspective. Prospects don't grow on trees. They, they do say that. But also, too, you can't be so tied to your prospects that you're not willing to move them for major pieces. And maybe a guy like Jacob Mizorowski, you sell high on because you believe that Mizorowski is probably going to end up being a reliever because he can't rein in the control that he has. I'd be very hesitant to trade a guy like Mizorowski, but who knows? Maybe Tyler Black is just going to be another version of Sal Freelich and Garrett Mitchell. And why do we need another version of that? And Bryce Trang might be able to match his value. Garrett Mitchell, speaking of him, his shoulder injury was a bad one. Maybe you kind of just write that off and say that Garrett Mitchell can't really ever get back to the prominence that you saw at the beginning of the 2023 season. Joey Weimer, while fun and a clubhouse guy, he's a great defender, but he's way too erratic with his swing. Maybe those are all things you could say. And then there are double A guys, there are single A guys, there are there are guys available that teams are going to have interest in and where you can make a big swing to help your ball club and give them the best chance to win. And with guys like Jackson Trio and Jefferson Cuero, who might be up next year, Trio for sure will be up next year. Black will be up next year. Mizorowski will be up next year. You have a chance to combine what you have with your veterans, and Corbin Burns and Devin Williams, Brandon Woodruff, Christian Yalich, Willie Thomas, with now all these young guys and the very talented young guys. These opportunities do not come around all the time for small markets. So why not push the chips in, make a couple Zach Greinke-like deals for your team, and really be contenders. Be at the level of the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Atlanta Braves. And I understand that you might not get to that tier, right? But get fucking close to it. Get as close as you might have ever been able to. Because, yeah, after next year, it's you're going to have the vibes of Trio and all these young players. and You'll be able to sell that through. You'll be able to sell Trio, Freelick, and others to the ball, to the organization. Yes, there will be people that are, you know, just appalled that you couldn't bring back Randy Woodruff and Corbin Burns and others, and that you're staring down the barrel of yet another De Devin Williams or Josh Hader situation with Devin Williams, right? But at the same time, what I want to preach here is the fact that 
this is a window. Like, this is another window for the Brewers. It's a bigger window than 2023 because you're now you're really talented young guys, including a guy who could be the Giannis of baseball for the Brewers and Jackson Trio is going to be up and going to be ready. That's that's the part where you could really see the Brewers make this unbelievable push to the top. And I, I think that, that that's on the table for them if they want it. Now, what could hold this back? Craig Council. Craig Council leaving, I think, changes things a little bit. I think if Corbin Burns tells the Brewers that he wants out and he wants a deal and he wants to, you know, if it, the Brewers can't you know, meet his demands to trade him, that also would affect it. I will say, like, not necessarily like a Ewing theory sort of thing with Burns. I do believe that you could still go all in and trade Corbin Burns, as crazy as that fucking sounds. Because while Corbin Burns is good, I feel like Mizorowski has talent. Aaron Ashby will be ready to go next year. I'm not saying that they can all replace what Corbin Burns does, but why not get your version of Zach Granke or Sean Markham in, in two, you know, 2024? I don't know who that would be, but could that potentially be on the table? Could you trade Corbin Burns to a team that has a bunch of young pitching and you get sort of the next iteration of that, right? I, I'm not sure. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. I think that's the that that's still on the table for them, which is nuts. The Brewers have a real chance here to do something special. Not only this year, because the more I watch the Brewers, the more I'm starting to really talk myself into it. I know what happened in LA. I know what happened in Atlanta. But I, I just think there something changed, man. Something changed. And I, I don't know. I was joking with my dad and some buddies where I was like, what if I were to tell you? An overnight plane ride to Texas changed this entire season. 30-30%. Strange brew. Like, I, I'm not kidding. Like, something happened. Had in a Texas. The only thing I can think of is Craig Council told the guys he's not coming back next year. And that's definite conspiracy, Chuck. The tinfoil hat has been applied. But what if Council, you know, they had a few drinks as they're headed to Texas, you know, and he's just like, guys, this is my last year. So I, and I, you know, don't ask for much, but let's just do all we can to make a run and beat these fuckers the next time we're in LA. And we got to be better. We got to do this, this, and this. And it starts tonight against Texas. I don't know, man. It, they just, they look like a different team. It, they've scored more than five runs in the last five games. They've won five straight games. They're pitching pretty damn well. I'll excuse Corbin Burns because I, I think anyone could have hit a home run out of, out of American Family Field the way it was flying out tonight. Something's changed. So maybe they're all in this year too, but in a different capacity. But next year, there there is a there is an opportunity. And the door is knocking. It's just a matter of the Brewers are going to walk in or they're just going to ignore it as they have in, in the past. So as I talked about, you know, the Brewers have looked like a different ball club here in the last five games, and it remained the same against the Minnesota Twins. You know, I we previewed the series on Tuesdays, uh, Tabby Keg Daily, and I told you guys that I felt like the Brewers had you know, a real advantage in the series, that I felt like looked at both the games, kind of broke it down, and was like, all right, Bailey Ober hasn't really been pitching that well this season or the, this month. 
And then Kenta Maeda is an extreme fly ball pitcher, and I, I felt like, oh, that should work to the Brewers' advantage. If you didn't take the over today at eight, I, I don't know what you're doing. Like, I, I don't know how you missed that one. You And I, I don't mean to shame anybody, but, like, come on. Like, that was on a fucking platter for all of us. So I, I hope that you were able to uh, cash a few Disney dollars with that. Brewers did it in an unconventional way. Like, this is an unconventional sweep for the Brewers because – on Tuesday night, you they were down 3-2. Bailey Ober actually pitched pretty well. And then the Brewers just kept packing away in the seventh in, or sixth inning. As my guy, uh, Kareem's husband on TikTok, Smokes on Main, says, soft hits are hits. And he's right. He's absolutely right. Uh, you know, that that is it's so true because they, they did not necessarily have any big hits in that inning. They just kind of fell, you know, gave Bill Schroeder time to rip on exit velocity and be his old man self. But they, they fell and the Brewers got the breaks that they did not get all fucking weekend in LA and finally sort of turned on the Brewers side, which happens in sports, right? There's going to be games where you're very unlucky and there's going to be games where every break seems to go your way. I know we forget the ones that go your way. We always remember the bad ones, right? We're like, wow, we can't catch a break. That ball tipped off a defender and it got intercepted once or twice. And, uh, you know, this ball, you know, went right to this guy and, and then their, their team, everything worked out. We don't remember when we catch the breaks because that's just human nature as, as fans. But we should remember it for this game because the Brewers were able to have an awesome inning. They have a five run inning. They've, get seven runs on the board at, well, seven runs total on the board. They had two from a Willie Adamas home run and the Brewers took advantage of that game at seven to three and then the bullpen shut it down. I mean, they, there's not much more you could want from the, your baseball team. And that was just a very impressive, uh, a win that you've not really seen from the Milwaukee Brewers. And they, they did so much work in that and really flustered the twins. You know, you had the error, the throwing error from, uh, Matt Wallner on right field, and you know the Crea uh, fumbling that led to Bryce Trang scoring a run, and Brian Anderson, who has not had many moments. Right, he's a, he's right now really a bench player. Andrew Monasterio has sort of took, taken over that third base position, and Brian Anderson comes through with a two run single. And competition breeds sort of you know you needing to play better. And Brian Anderson, you know, gave the Brewers a moment there and, you know, made a case to start more at Monasterio today at a two run single. So it's like, that's, that's, that's fucking good. That's exactly, exactly what you want. And Brewers bullpen was really solid. You know, I, I think Wade Miley did all right. Uh, he's not necessarily had the best August, but you know, doing just enough Bryce Wilson, two innings. Like I, I was worried. I think at one point that Bryce Wilson had kind of reverted back to October or, uh, Pittsburgh, Atlanta, Bryce Wilson, who was just a complete and utter gas can. And he's, he's kind of right at the ship. And Trevor McGill is throwing gas, and Trevor McGill is kind of starting to figure it out now, too. So imagine if Trevor McGill, like, is is a legitimate dude for the Brewers. He pitched high leverage inning on on a sat Sunday and then came in. It was a four-run four run game. The Brewers have had some issues closing out ninth innings. You know, Chaffin struggled with it. Uh, Wilson uh, struggled with it on Sunday, which that one wasn't exactly Wilson's fault. He had bad defense. The Brewers were just kind of playing careless. It was a, a team that wanted to go home after a nine-game, 
three city road trip. But McGill stepped in there, looked the part, gave up a hit, then didn't really bother. Wasted the rest of it away, struck out a batter, nine pitches overall. Like, the Brewers could have McGill, Uribe, just throwing gas in the seventh inning and take your pick. And then, oh, yeah, we have Pagaro, too, who just throws a devastating sweeper sinker. Like, they, I mean, this bullpen is extremely tough to deal with. And, yeah, it was – just a very productive night for the Brewers where no one really stood out. It was crazy about the game. The Brewers had eight hits overall. Nobody had two hits in the game. Joey Weimer was the only one who didn't have a hit in the game. But nobody had nobody had two hits in this ballgame. A couple people got on because they walked multiple times. Like Mark Cannon, I think, got on three times overall. But still, like, that's, that's wild to me. Uh, and then, yeah, the Willie Adams run. And, and we can talk about moving to today. You know, Willie Adams has become a catalyst again. Uh, he's become sort of the Willie that we all hoped still was there. And Mitch and I, a couple of weeks ago, talked about if there was a, a chance for a Willie Adamas comeback or is it just wait till next year? And we were both kind of on the like wait till next year side of things. And Willie proved us wrong. I, I have to give him credit uh, for sticking with it and not necessarily, you know, just packing it in. He easily could have said fuck it and been like, this season is a complete waste. I give the Brewers credit for basically, you know, not giving up. They kept him around the four and five hole. A lot of Brewer fans, probably including myself, I didn't really do it on Twitter, but just instinctively, internally, kind of clamoring for why don't we move down to the six? Why don't we move down to the seven? Brewers stuck with it, and they deserve a ton of credit for it. And they obviously saw the the chance for Willie to turn it around. Now, now you have a, a feared hitter in that that four spot, you know, where he can really make do some damage. He's still chasing a little bit too much, but you know, if he can be a little less on the chase, especially that low that low outside slider, very core heart of of Willie Thomas to chase all those. We can have really a, a lot there. And he had, I mean, he set the tone on Tuesday night with the two run homer and then made, you know, got the Brewers kind of back in this baseball game as they were down six to three. And then Adamas hits the two run homer to pull them closer. And then Tyrone Taylor would hit the game tying home run. And Tyrone's been just hotter than the sun. And the Brewers, hot, I mean, that's ironic given the fact it was, I think, on the field 115. Uh, at one point in this game, which is bananas for late late August. You just do not see that here in Milwaukee, especially around this time of year. And this game really was all about the Brewers battling back uh, in the 8-7 victory against the Twins. You know, Brewers were down one nothing, then 2-1. They're down 3-2, then it was 3-3. They're down 5-3 and 6-3. Then they came back, it was 6-6. Then on a bullshit play in the top of the 10th, where Ryan Jeffers trips, Figueroa doesn't realize it, holds the ball, and Jeffers is able to to stay on first base and a runner scores. They get up 7-6. The Brewers then win it in the, not, in the 10th inning with a Bryce Trang infield single, and they win 8-7. That, I mean, <laughs> that's something, man. That The fact that they just, eat, again, could have packed it in, right? They could have said, fuck it. It is hot as shit. We have a charity event for our guy Corbett tonight. We could have easily, they could have easily said, all right, we're done. We're, we're just done here. We'll, we'll move on. We're down six to three. It's no, there's no need to come back. Came back, won the baseball game. 
it's it's just I really admire it from the Brewers. And they also, you know, kept the twins down. You know, twins get up six to three on a farmer home run and they don't get a run until the tenth inning. And that run is by Ghostman, right? Uh, you know, and that's again this bullpen, it's credit to them. Uh Uribe comes in throwing gas, 103.3, fastest pitch according to Statcast data. Pionis, Devin Williams, it was a little shaky for Devin Williams. He had two runners on to start that inning, but then, you know, got two strikeouts and, and figured it out. Uh, and Piguero wasn't exactly terrible. I mean, he did walk a couple guys, but it he, he did enough, right? He limited the damage to one run and gave the Brewers a chance then in that bottom of that tenth. And so, so continued good stuff for this Brewers team. And, you know, it's it's really it's really fun to watch. And you know, Trang had two hits, uh, Adamas had two hits, uh, Santana had two hits, and then homers from Contreras, Adamas, and Taylor. Uh, Tyron Taylor also had two hits. Tyron Taylor, man, just continues to be on a complete tear, uh, really making Joey Weimer obsolete uh, on this team. And I, I do wonder. It's it's almost the end of the AAA season, so I don't think Joey Weimer will get sent down. He's kind of lucky, I think, that this happened now. Uh, Weimer will still be on this team, but yeah, Joey Weimer is you know at this point a defensive replacement, uh, and I I like Weems. I still think there's a future for Joey Weimer. It's just what Taylor is providing recently, what Mark Hanna has been providing recently, what Yelich has been providing recently. There's not much spot for Weimer. And by the way, you haven't had Sal Freelich for the last three games. He's had a hamstring thing. I did get an MRI, but it came back clean. Uh, gets another day off. And so hopefully Sal Freelich's back in the lineup on Friday. Uh, if not, I, I do wonder, do you swap him out for Jesse Winker? I know Winker right now is in AAA Nashville. Is is there a custom hero move that would happen for Freelich? I know a lot of Brewer fans have been clamoring for Keston Hira. Uh, I haven't been exactly on that bandwagon, but we'll we'll wait patiently with Freelich. That would really suck to lose Sal to injury. And then I, it, I wouldn't say it raises a question about Sal and injury prone, but it's kind of it's kind of an issue at this point that he seems to not be able to stay healthy. Um, and, and again, that's, sometimes that's just a one-year thing. Sometimes it's even a two-year thing, and then they they're healthy the rest of their career. But it's certainly frustrating. And I, I will also know note if you need to get a couple weeks to get Sal right with the way Taylor's been playing, you still get good defense from Weimer. Uh, you can survive maybe you know ten days without Sal Freelich, uh, if if possible, right? Uh, which, but I, I don't I don't particularly want that. Uh, Corbin Burns, second bad start in the last three. I'm not going to put a ton of weight, though, because of the, how bad the weather was uh, and how easy balls were to go out in that stadium today. I, I just hope that, you know, it's, we're not seeing the old Corbin Burns from, you know, the first half. A lot of his cutters were staying up. So I, I just hope maybe it's a hot weather issue. And, you know, he just didn't handle the hot weather well. My guy Tyler uh, Knopf, I think that's a Knope, on Twitter pointed out, like, he really struggled in that Cincinnati game where it was extremely hot in July. And maybe just Burns is not a warm weather pitcher. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to monitor that. I think he'll get the ball next uh, Tuesday night in Wrigley uh, against the Cubs. Yes. Burns versus Justin Steele as it stands today, which that's an awesome matchup. Uh, I don't know if TBS has a game for Tuesday, but like 
There, why is that not not the game for TBS? Maybe you go Houston, Boston, but I would definitely uh, look at that one. That to me feels feels like a a one to one to put on the prime time uh, with the Brewers and the Cubs because yeah, sign me up there. I mean that that series. I mean we'll see what happens this weekend. You know with the Brewers and the Padres, but you have Miley versus Jamison Tyon on Monday, which is just okay. But then you have. Burns and Steele, and then Woodruff and Hendricks uh, on on Wednesday afternoon. That's that's gonna be awesome, man. Cannot wait uh, for Brewers and Cubs. And shout out also to MLB.com, who they did like the eight most important series uh, for the end of the year. They did not include the Brewers once, but they include included the Reds and the Cubs. Guys, you're not gonna get Ellie De La Cruz in just because you want him there. Right, they're going to have to fucking earn it. So, and, and last I checked, they're three and a half back uh, from the Brewers. Impressive two-game uh, doubleheader sweep over the hapless Angels, but you know it's just they, everybody's beating up on the Angels these days. All right, let's wrap up today's show with Rashawn Gary, and uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk. Little Green Bay Packers uh, to wrap up today's program. Uh, Rashawn Gary has been back uh, doing team drills. He did 11 on 11 uh, the other day. Uh, he's back to basically being the Rashawn Gary of old, if you will. Uh, Jair Alexander told Matt Scheinman it's like having Superman back on the field. And that's what we're here to talk about is his impact really week one uh, for Justin Fields. It's definitely not something I think the Bears or Fields would have liked to see. Uh, Gary humming at him. He, he missed the second game uh, that the Bears and Packers did play at Soldier Field. And while Rashawn Gary can sometimes have can some contain issues, he's going to make it a lot harder on Justin Fields, especially against that new Bears offensive line. The Bears had a very much maligned offensive line last season. Uh, obviously, have made steps to try to fix that. This year, but to deal with Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith now is not going to be easy for really anybody. But you have a Bears offensive line that immediately, immediately gets tested. That is, that's an immediate test for them. Uh, Darnell Wright, the rookie out of Tennessee that they drafted, he his foot goes to the complete fire. Uh, right now, a guy named Braxton Jones is your left tackle, uh, which I, I, I don't know much about Braxton Jones. They did also bring in Nate Davis, uh, a free agent from Tennessee. But yeah, it's, it's not, it's kind of scary season, uh, right now for, for the Bears because that's, that's not going to bode well. And Gary just gives you so much, uh, off the edge if you're the Packers and, that's really going to help this defense right out the gate. And to be fully healthy, ready to roll is a huge win. Now, you do have Kenny Clark, who's not been practicing much. You have Devondre Campbell, who's not been practicing much. Those are things that you wonder if that's training camp related, where the guys just don't want to play, or these are injuries that are actually going to carry over the season. Uh, if Rashawn Gary's playing, but you don't have Kenny Clark and you don't have Devondre Campbell, at, and everything I said doesn't fucking matter. Uh, that's a huge loss in the middle of your defense. Uh, yeah, you can rush the edge, but I don't know if anyone's going to be able to stop Justin Fields up the middle. Uh, I, I do like TJ Slayton. I do like Corey Wooten. I do like Carl Brooks. Uh, Devondre Wyatt, I guess, had a little bit of a, a thing today in practice. I like Wyatt too, but and I like Quay Walker, but I, I just do not trust 
that group of guys over guys like Campbell and Clark. But Rashawn Gary can become a factor right away. And I, I also think the Packers, excuse me, do not need to involve him immediately because, you know, they have a lot of talent at the edge position. You have Kingsley and Gabari, you have Justin Hollins, uh, you have Lucas Van Ness. So you don't necessarily need Rashawn Gary to be Superman, as, as weird as that sounds. Like I know what Jair, Jair's comment was, but you don't need him to be Superman. You don't need him to be a hero. You don't need him out there for 95% of the snaps. You can kind of rotate Gary in, you know, with everybody else. And I, I think that's the way to do it. Uh, I still think you can find optimal ways to use Rashawn Gary. I, I also could see a situation where you're kind of using him more in the second half, where you watch what the Bears do in the first half, kind of understand, all right, this is when, you know, Justin Fields does this, or this is when he does that. And we need Rashawn Gary out on those that plays, and he wasn't out there, you know, in the first half. You know, kind of, it's almost like a live bet, but for sports, it's that well, it's the in-game adjustment. That's probably the better way to better way to say it, right? Like it's that in-game adjustment that you have with Rashawn Gary, um, and I, I think you'll see the Packers do that at least for the first couple of weeks. I think the turf stuff scares me a little bit, uh, even though he is coming back, and it's great to have him back. You're dealing with a soldier field turf that is beat up. Uh, it gets beat up, I think, right from the start because there's so much that happens on that field, you know, during the summer. I know they try to manicure it. It is a better time, I guess, to be at soldier field, but it's not, you know, a pristine turf. And then you go to Atlanta where you're dealing, you're dealing with the, you know, the indoor turf that has caused a lot of injuries. Uh, you know, what Gary dealt with, you know, in Detroit. So I, I just imagine the Packers, you know, taking it a little easier and maybe unleashing it more in the second half to be like, all right, we know that this is kind of their game plan. This is what they're doing. Here's how we can use you. Because if you just put them down every third down, it's going to be obvious. It's like, okay, well, you have a blitz. You're going to be rushing a quarterback. I'd also like to see, you know, different combinations. So whether it's Gary and Van Ness or it's Gary and Ingenbare or Gary and Hollins, like, I don't think it always has to be Gary, the one that's flipping out and Preston Smith having all the snaps. Like I, I think you know, this will also help Preston Smith, right? It, it takes a little bit of pressure off Preston Smith to start the season. He doesn't have to be the guy. He, he'll still have impact. He'll still, you know, do well. He's a great player, but I, I don't think it's, it means that Preston Smith has to be, you know, the number one uh, to start the year because that goes to Gary and takes a little bit of that pressure off. Preston, to me, is much better as the sidekick than the main guy. And, and, then, and then there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, there's nothing nothing that says you have to always, you know, be be the main guy. Uh, so I, I think that that is definitely, definitely a good thing as well. Um, I think from a 53-man roster perspective, I know we talked about that in great detail on yesterday, on Tuesday's show, so you can go back and listen to that. But I, I do really think that this affects Brendan Cox. Uh, I, I don't see a way that he makes the team, just given what they have, what I listed off. I, I know that everybody likes him. I know everybody sees the talent. But I, I just don't see a case for keeping yet another edge rusher. Uh, unless that's part of strategy, unless the Packers really feel like they're going to be using more and more edges and they need as many guys as possible to rush the quarterback. I know that sounds kind of obvious. You're like, of course, why wouldn't you need guys to rush the quarterback? Well, you need guys to play other positions. You're going you're to get Eric Stokes going on the pump. I think that's a given. I don't know if that's been announced yet. 
but I, I don't see any way that Eric Stokes is in on the pop. So maybe that does free up our roster spot potentially for somebody to start the year, but it probably goes to more of the secondary than it does, you know, on the defensive front. So yeah, I unfortunately think that Brent Cox might not necessarily find a space here for the Packers, which sucks. I, you know, obviously like Cox, think he's good. I realize what I just said, <laughs> but you know, thankfully I don't have a big enough podcast for anybody, anybody to clip that. Uh, that was my Rick Rogeris moment. If you know, uh, Rick Rogeris and Rudy Gay, uh, that's basically what I just did. Uh, thank God it was, you know, late in a podcast and everything like that, but. Anywho, uh, yeah, I, I'm just stoked to have Gary back. I did not expect it. I think when we talked about it in the summer, it was, you know, oh, yeah, we'll get him back week six. We'll get him back maybe after the bye. Uh, and to get him back week one is just a cherry on top. And I'll say this, too. It adds more pressure to Joe Barry. It does not make Joe Barry's life easier. Uh, Joe Barry, you know, could use the excuse, well, well, didn't have Rashawn Gary. Didn't have Rashawn Gary. It's like, nope. Uh, you should have a fully loaded roster, you know, bar an injury. And, you know, Mark Murphy made it known, uh, at the shareholders meeting. And I, I think it's well, well known that these six weeks, these first six weeks are going to decide Joe Barry's fate and see if, you know, what we saw at the end of last year is the real Packer defense or if we're back to smoke and mirrors. We'll, we'll just have to, just have to wait and see. Uh, but yeah, that should be, should be very interesting and cool to see Gary out of the field in week one. All right. That does it for the show. I'm not going to give you a bunch of debate, uh, hot takes, as you might have known or saw. The GOB debate was at Milwaukee at Pfizer Forum or as Bill Hemmer of Fox News like to call it, Pfizer Arena. Uh, shout out to Bill for that one. Uh, but yeah, the, the debate happened here in Milwaukee. It looked interesting. It was like kind of like how they set up concerts at Pfizer Forum. I think they said 4,000 people uh, were in attendance. Uh, it was rowdy uh, at times. I, I did did check it out myself. I will not give you any takes from the actual debate because we're a sports podcast. I will though say though, if you are mad that the GOP is here uh, or that the GOP convention's here, uh, just touch a little grass, okay? Doesn't matter if the DNC was here. It doesn't matter if the fucking Green Party was here. It's good for the city. It's great for business. The DNC was going to be here. Unfortunately, COVID wiped it out. The And they had everything ready to go. And Mayor Johnson, who, by the way, is a Democrat, uh, was like, all right, yeah, let's do what we can to get the, get the RNC here. And I believe we're for Scott Walker on that and did it. And we should have more, you know, bipartisan things. People should work together. And this is going to only help the city. You want to keep the brewers here? You do stuff like this. It helps, helps bring in revenue, helps bring in opportunities. You know, this is the type of thing that gets, you know, things moving forward and also paints a great light, hopefully, on the city of Milwaukee. And everybody will talk about, oh, how friendly they are. Oh, they're great people. Like, that's so. I just had to squeeze that into the end of the show because I was like, that, that shit pissed me off. I saw, I, I won't even acknowledge the guy who was Buck's guy, um, was put there who was just a, completely appalled by it. And it's just like, don't be such a fucking loser, dude. Um, but anyways, another story for another time, uh, not on this podcast, uh, cause we don't, we don't do politics. Kevin the ballot, I think is what we call our podcast. Uh, if we were to ever go into political, uh, and then I think the, Weather one was tapping the was tapping the weather vane. I can't remember. Oh, breaking news! Oh, Shohei Otani has a ligament tear 
in his right elbow. God damn. The hits just keep coming for the Angels, man. Fuck. That sucks. Uh, I, the Angels just, I, I don't know how it keeps happening. They just trip on their dick every goddamn year. It's unbelievable. All right. Well, I, I hung on the podcast long enough to give you some breaking news at the very end of it. So there you go. All right. Take care of yourself. Have a good one. Back solo pod again uh, tomorrow. I will tell you, we'll talk Seahawks Packers. We'll talk CC's and Bathia. We'll talk Padres Brewers. Uh, and who knows what else? I'm sure a host of other things. But yeah, we'll see you then. All right. Take care. I'm going. Bye.